Welcome to Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences podcast, The Secret to Living to 200. My name is Jennifer Persons, and I'm your host. In each episode of this series, we will explore different aspects of health and the factors that allow us to live longer, healthier lives with the help of a thought leader from the university. This year, MCPHS is celebrating its 200th birthday, and what better way to kick off our bicentennial celebrations than with a podcast about longevity and well-being. Joining me today is Dr. Maria Broderick. She is the Director of Clinical Education for the New England School of Acupuncture, which is part of MCPHS Worcester. Welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm really glad to be here. We're so excited to have you. Before we dive into our conversation, we're going to start with an icebreaker. So my question for you is, if you had a time machine and could travel 200 years into the past or 200 years into the future, which would you pick and why? Oh, I would pick 200 years into the future. And I would do so because I have a lot of optimism about the direction healthcare is taking. And I believe that actually our topic today of integrative health is in fact, the future of healthcare, and that 200 years from today, we will see people receiving comprehensive preventative care. We'll see disciplines like my own, acupuncture and herbal medicine, available to people across our country and the nation, and that we will have a healthcare system that is gentle, effective, cost-effective, and comprehensive throughout the lifespan. I really appreciate your optimistic outlook, so I'm excited to get into the bulk of our conversation. So to start, could you tell us about your career path and what led you to integrative health? Yes, so I have an atypical career path, which is probably true of many acupuncturists. I grew up outside of Albany, New York, and I grew up with a dad who was chronically ill, so that probably motivated my direction to eventually move into healthcare. I went to college and I had the coincidental experience of having a professor who was translating the ancient Sanskrit around a text called the Healing Buddha. So after I took that particular course and studied anthropology, I took a very odd turn in my career, quote unquote, I'm not even sure if you can call this my career. I went to clown college at the Ringling (laughs) Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown College in Florida. Wow. And then I actually joined a circus, the Big Apple Circus in New York City. Wow. And I had a number of roles there and I traveled with the circus for a few years I would say that was my adventure of my youth. And then I had a real curiosity about how people develop, how children develop. And I actually helped start a school at the Circus for Kids of the Performers. So that led me eventually to graduate studies in education. So long before I studied Chinese medicine, I earned a doctorate in education. And as I went through my doctoral studies, my focus in my doctorate was a field called human development and psychology. And that, believe it or not, led me to a dissertation looking at how meditation influences people's recovery from chronic illness. So that was in the 1980s. I got started on that dissertation. And then now we live in a world where meditation is viewed as just another technique for people to take good care of themselves. But back then, it was viewed as a very unusual thing. Yeah. So that kind of started my interest in working with people who had an integrative approach to health and wellness. 
And then after I finished my doctorate, I worked in my field, which was developmental psychology for a number of years. And ultimately, I, I had an interest in working with kids and I really wanted to work with kids in a way that was integrative and directly clinical. And that led me to NISA. So I actually went to my acupuncture program in my mid-40s. I had two kids in the household at the time, was working, and I pursued um, training then in acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine. And between then and now, I, I opened a practice. I joined the team at Boston Medical Center in pediatric acupuncture and For a period of time, I was also the director of integrative medicine at Boston Medical Center, where I brought a whole range of services to the patients, you know, across every department. We offered yoga and tai chi and massage and meditation and acupuncture. And then ultimately, I, um, I had been working as an adjunct faculty for NISA since 2010. And then in 2017, I became full-time faculty and the director of clinical education. So that that's the whole story in a nutshell. That is quite the story. <laughs> I think it's amazing that you have tested out so many different career paths and we say it, but until you can see examples like this, it's hard, or I don't know if you find it's hard to tell students that it's okay if you don't know exactly where your life is going to end up, because it sounds like over the course of trial and error and finding what really spoke to you, you found where you're really supposed to be. Yes. And it's also the case that everything I had done before ultimately contributed to what I do now and helped me cultivate a set of skills that I had no idea would be pertinent to the role I have now. Feels like a full circle moment. As you mentioned, you grew up with somebody who was dealing with chronic pain. And so you've kind of completed that circle, which I think is wonderful. I think most students you talk to at MCPHS have a version of that story. And I love talking to my students about their, you know, their origin story, so to speak. You know, how, how did you get here and, and where are you going? You know, it's a really interesting conversation. Absolutely. So we've mentioned chronic pain and stress, but for those who are unfamiliar, can you just talk about some of the main reasons that a patient might choose to pursue acupuncture or Chinese herbal medicine as part of their treatment? Yes. So let's go back to those two core reasons, because I think most people, when they think of acupuncture, do think of it as a remedy for pain and stress. And acupuncture and Chinese herbal medicine are part of a, a system of healthcare, which we call traditional Chinese medicine. And that system encompasses other modalities as well, forms of massage, cupping, other kinds of techniques that we use. And altogether, acupuncture herbs and those other techniques are a system that fully addresses a wide range of health concerns. So why most people would probably go to an acupuncturist for pain or stress, they could stay with the acupuncturist to work on their gastrointestinal issues or their hypertension or, you know, women with fertility issues or even with kids, which is my focus in pediatrics to support their development and well-being. Mm -hmm. So it's a comprehensive system of care and the combination of all its different modalities can treat a very wide range of health concerns. I want to talk more about your work with children. I think that's very interesting. So about what time frame were you working with pediatrics at Boston Medical Center? Very fortunately, my time at NISA coincided with the development of its first pediatric acupuncture outplacement program, which was developed through funding on a project called the Healing Landscapes Project, which was 
devoted to bringing indigenous systems of healthcare into Western healthcare to help the immigrant families of Boston feel like their culture and their needs were being directly recognized. And so acupuncture came to BMC under that program. And I just happened to be in school at the time when the pediatric service was set up. In 2010, I took over the precepting of that service. And at the time when I started, we were seeing kids inpatient and we were seeing teens on an outpatient basis. And then a few years ago, a hematologist oncologist joined BMC to work with children with sickle cell disease, and she started the pediatric pain service. And our acupuncture team joined that service, and we now work in a highly integrative way. Together, we're all there as a team on the same day. And kids with chronic pain, many of them do have sickle cell disease, but we also get referrals from across the healthcare system for children with different reasons that they have chronic pain. So we're all there together, and we collectively provide care to the kids. And our students get trained by coming and working for a semester with the kids in the program. Wow. You mentioned how meditation, when you were first learning about it and really studying it, wasn't really widely accepted. Did you have any similar experiences with children or was it that their culture allowed them to remain open to this approach to treating their pain? Well, this is a really interesting feature of this clinic is that the children and the families are introduced to the the model of care. They didn't necessarily pursue this pain clinic so they could potentially receive acupuncture. That isn't their goal. Their goal is to have their child's pain treated. So sometimes, you know, they're quite surprised to hear about acupuncture. And sometimes, naturally, children are reluctant to meet with our team and explore what we can do for them. But little kids don't actually receive needling. We have other acupressure and other techniques we can do. But actually, the tweens on up are often, once they understand what we're all about and how gentle we can be, they're willing to try it. And I would say 90% of the kids that do open their mind and try it then really get quite committed to it. Because I don't know if you've ever had acupuncture, but it can be incredibly relaxing and the children really come to love it. So when you're talking to adults about acupuncture, do you kind of take the same approach? How are you trying to break down those barriers with adults, either in your practice or as you're teaching students? In general, if you're seeking acupuncture, you know, you made the choice as an adult to go find an acupuncturist or come to our treatment center in Worcester, you know, at least some part of you is willing to explore it as a possibility for you. Sure. That said, we say to people that, you know, your body has its own healing potential and acupuncture is almost like, I know this sounds a little strange because we're talking about putting needles in, but it's kind of like giving the body a set of instructions. Like each of the points basically says to the body, turn on this, you know, natural painkiller that you have in your system, turn on this natural healing process that you have in your system reduce, mm. to reduce your inflammation, turn on this to help your digestion. That's kind of what it is. Integrative health has made great strides, obviously, especially over the course of your career. What do you think it will take to get more programs like the one you were working in with children? Well, this is really interesting because, you know, when I started, meditation was viewed as a very odd thing. Yeah. And now, really, people don't even think twice about it. Or or take yoga as an example outside of my field. But, you know, when I was growing up, 
yoga was truly viewed as a very exotic, very honestly weird kind of undertaking. Anybody who practiced yoga was on the fringe of society. Now yoga is so pervasive and everybody practices yoga. Acupuncture has similarly come quite a long way on its own journey in the West. And it is the case now, and this might surprise listeners, that acupuncture is offered by every major medical, academic medical center in in Boston. So it's taken greater hold than you might imagine. And I think it's that kind of combination of people just becoming exposed and getting used to the idea and hearing Mm -hmm. about other people they know who have good experiences Mm -hmm. in combination with evidence-based research growing and major institutions committing to acupuncture as part of their whole health system. That's fascinating. So since it's in such major hospitals and organizations, what is the sense of the buy-in from other kinds of providers? It's interesting because integrative health as a field, which includes, of course, Chinese medicine, yoga, meditation, tai chi. Sure is now being introduced to medical students. There are quite a number of medical schools that have courses in integrative health. And there is, as I mentioned, a lot of research across all those particular modalities. Mm -hmm. So I think it starts with education of healthcare providers. You know, if you encounter the concept of integrative health when you're a medical student and your professors are teaching you about it, and you're reading the, re- the research, and then you rotate through, you know, a particular training experience where you're exposed to those types of services, you're more likely to view it as part of contemporary medicine. You mentioned that integrative health, you believe, is the future of care. So how much longer do you expect it will take to make integrative health an equal and active player across the system. What's really interesting is if you talk to physicians, nurses, healthcare providers who were trained in the, you know, the biomedical system who are interested in integrative health. There's a whole movement now to change the language again. So we've been on a journey. Okay. When I started out, all this was called alternative health. And, you know, there was a lot of pushback by Western clinicians. And then in a slightly more respectful manner, it started being called complementary and alternative health. And then this idea of integrative health came in. And that was yet another kind of nod to the developing evidence base and the demonstration that these different systems of care required rigorous training and, you know, got real positive effects for patients. So now now the whole thing is called integrative health. But there is a little bit of a group of people, and it's made up of physicians and nurses and a consortium of academic health and medicine that are now saying, look, this term really has to go. We have to just construe all of this as medicine because medicine has many facets and we all have gotten to the point where the evidence is strong enough. And I think to go back to meditation, that's really now the foreground of integrative care. It has moved from this fringe activity into the absolute center of medicine. And doctors don't push back on it anymore. In fact, if if they push back on it, they're viewed as a little bit naive about the literature. They haven't read the evidence base because the evidence base is so solid. So now we don't think of that so much as integrative medicine. We just think of it as, oh, 
you know, this is another tool in our kit for taking care of people. And, you know, the economic side of healthcare says that we need to find ways of self-care that we can introduce to our patients that are, you know, low cost and accessible that we know make a difference. Maria, thank you so much for this conversation. I hope that especially for people who are considering starting a meditation practice or seeking acupuncture, I hope maybe this will push them over the edge to try it out. Me too. Thank you so much. We've come to the part of our show called Red's Rapid Fire. I'm going to ask you a short series of questions, and the goal is to answer them as quickly as possible. Are you ready? Yes. Are you an early riser or a night owl? Night owl. Sweet or savory? Savory. What is another language you wish you could speak? Chinese. What is your favorite book? Um, The Healing Buddha, the book that started me on this journey. Do you think the glass is half empty or half full? Half full. What is something you wish was illegal? Disrespect. What are three things you would bring with you to a deserted island? My pack of needles, my children, and gallons and gallons of fresh water. Which decade of your life has been your favorite? Oh my gosh, Uh, this one. Do you have any hidden talents? Well, I can juggle. That's part of my clown college training, so yes. And my last question is, what's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? I would tell my younger self to to let the experience of, you know, where my life takes me unfold and, and not to be concerned about where I'll end up. Wonderful. Thanks again, Maria. And thank you for listening to this episode of The Secret to Living to 200. We hope you'll join us next time. And as always, stay curious, Cardinals.